To celebrate the fastest known time of the year award for 2019, we bring you this countdown episode supported by the California-based running apparel company, Rabbit. Before we get into the show, let's hear from Rabbit-sponsored runner, Eric Sensman. Hey guys, Eric Sensman, professional ultra runner here. As some of you might know, I'm sponsored by Rabbit, a super rad men's and women's performance running apparel brand from California that was founded by two female runners, Monica and Jill. I've been with Rabbit for a few years now, and the number one reason is definitely the clothes. Hands down, Rabbit makes the best running apparel I've ever worn. All the stuff is so damn soft, versatile, and comfortable, and at the same time, technical and functional. So when I'm racing for hours on the trails or going for an FKT, my favorite things to wear are the FKT shorts, because I can load everything into the four pockets along the waistband. I also love the Easy Tee, which actually comes in both a short and long sleeve, because it's seriously the softest shirt I've ever worn. And for my cold weather needs, I always throw on the Letter Zip hoodie, because it's the best running jacket I've ever run in. So anyway, go check them out, and I bet you'll agree that Rabbit makes the most comfortable running clothes you've ever worn. They're letting me give all you listeners 20% off your first purchase. So go over to runinrabbit.com and use the discount code FKT at checkout. I feel I have the most fun job in the world. This is Buzz Burrell, and I can't say it's the best job because no one is getting paid, but it is really fun because I just spoke with a number five, number four, and number three FKT of the Year award winners. These are great people. They did great projects, and you are about to hear from all of them directly in their own words what they just did. It's it's so fun. I was literally moved to tears at some times and also just inspired, greatly inspired. And the fun thing is you're going to hear directly in their own words from all these people. Each segment is only about 10 to 15 minutes long. So this show is going to total about one hour and we're going to cover the number five, number four, and number three FKT of the Year award winners. So just for context, there's no prize. They don't they don't even get a belt buckle, no plaque, no nothing, but they do get the respect of their peers. And most of all, we get to talk about it. We get to learn from each other. We get to hear what each other is doing, and we can be inspired. As always, when you're listening to this, if something moves you, something you might want to try, click through, go to the website and click through to what they did, and you could often find their trip report. You can find their photos. You can learn more information. Well, enough shuck and jive. Let's get on with it. Here we go for part one of the Fastest Known Time of the Year Awards. And part two will be coming next Friday when we hear from the number two and the number one award winners. The 2019 Fastest Known Time of the Year Awards are back and we're kicking it off with Rachel Intrican, who I'm speaking with from Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, happy to be here. On July 20th, you ran the Wonderland Trail, which I is did. that <laughs> fabulous. It's a fabulous trail, isn't it? 95 miles around Mount Rainier. So it's classic because it's pretty straightforward. It has logical sense to it. Mm-hmm. And you got the FKT on that. And for that, the voters awarded you the number five female FKT of the year award. So congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> now, I should note right now that there's actually a tie for number five. So after this, we're going to interview the other female who has the other five. But 
it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just the way the voting comes out. Okay. I'm going to explain that right now, just because we're kicking this going with you. Uh, we 661 FKTs were submitted, Rachel, for just North America. You know, plenty more for Asia, down under Europe. And 661 is too many for our voters to process. So we crushed that down to 19 on the nominations list, which you, of course, were on. People can go look at that list on the website. And uh, 20 for men. And then voters vote on those 19 and those 20 to make it easier for them to understand. And numbers are just assigned to their votes. I add them up. And whatever the numbers say is it. It's very objective. So on the back end, meaning me or Peter Backwin, we don't touch it. So that's how we end up with ties. Okay. And I should also note, don't it, it, it doesn't matter that much because number three, number four, number five, we're all just a few votes apart. So it's all kind of the same thing. I'm just happy to be here, so don't worry. <laughs> well, good. I just wanted this one uh, since you're actually the first on the show. I just wanted to get this warmed up and uh, let people know how the how the game works. And of course, back to the topic. Congratulating you. So the Wonderland Trail, super classic, and you did it the year before with a partner, a male partner. But this mm -hmm. time, you went by yourself uh, about three. Uh, hours faster than you did last year. Yeah. Well, we had a couple sticky situations where we got uh, lost and made it a little longer than 95 miles. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I was That'll able to save a, save a little bit of time. <laughs> uh huh. So going alone or was it the experience that allowed you to not make well, any errors? Well, you know, I mean, when you go solo, you have to pay a little bit more attention than you do when you're, you know, got someone else there with you. So, you know, I think it was, I think it was experience. And then I think it was also just personal responsibility. So. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, you obviously live in Seattle and so on a clear day, which probably not too many of those right now, this time of year, but normally on a clear day, you can see the big mountain. So is Mount Rainier a special place for you or how have you approached the Wonderland? Well, I, um, I, a couple, I think in 2017, when I moved here, I went to our local running shop and, um, Richard Cresser had put on a video, um, about he had done something called Dick's Rash, um, which is where he circumnavigated and then ascended and descended four volcanoes in the area. Um, and so in 2018, I decided to, I have no interest in climbing things, but I do think it's really cool to run around them. So I decided to run around all of them. Um, so that is uh, Mount Rainier, um, Mount Adams, Mount St. Helens, and Mount Hood. Um, so wait, hold on, hold, hold, wait. That's interesting. I never heard of this. So how do you pronounce that challenge again? <laughs> it's uh, the Dick's Rash. Dick's Pretty Rash. Little crass, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are ultra runners, so that is what we do. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I did. Um, I didn't do the, obviously the the up and down pieces, but I did. Um, the circumnavigations. And so that was kind of my first foray with the Wonderland was last year. I didn't have quite the confidence to do it solo, um, but I did it with my buddy Ian. And then um, I thought it was really awesome. So then this year, or I guess 2019, um, I decided to try to give the solo record a shot. So, so yeah, that was kind of my, I guess, introduction to the Wonderland. <laughs> so thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. 
<laughs> well, that's interesting, Rachel. I'd never heard of Dick's Rash. Yeah. Um, so, wow. So all four, the four big volcanoes right there. Of course, mm -hmm. Hood is in Oregon, not Washington. Mm -hmm. But Hood's got the Timberline Trail, which we have nominees for this year, on the Timberline Trail FKT. That's a good one. Is, is uh, anyone tried to link those together or they just do them on successive weekends? Um, well, Richard actually did it in one week, which is insanity. <laughs> but um, but I did it over the course of the summer. So I, I think it actually it may have taken me like start to finish like two months to kind of hook them all together. But um, but yeah, so that was that was kind of why I thought that that, you know, was a good idea is because, you know, somebody had kind of already done it. And then I thought that maybe I could, you know, try to do the same. Nice. That's a good story. And that's good information, something we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So on the uh, Wonderland, of course, you're a little bit faster than a well-known well local person, Candace Burt. So that means you must have a little bit of experience. Yeah. And, you know, I did um, I did the Wonderland in 2018. And then the, the Wonderland in 2018 was the last one of those four that I did. And so I kind of built up my confidence before going in for the 95-mile behemoth um, with, you know, most of the other mountains are between 31 and 40 miles. Um, so and then I also did um, Section J of the PCT uh, prior to doing Rainier the first time. So, you know, I'm not I'm not a super experienced mountain person, or at least I wasn't in 2018 quite yet. Um, so I really tried to build up my confidence in that before giving it the solo shot, I guess. So, Great. yeah, originally I'm from Alabama where we have, we have hills, but we don't quite have the, the mountain caliber that we have out here. So I really wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing and I was going to be safe doing it within reason um, prior to Excellent. giving it. Yeah, wow. you moved out from Alabama. That's a big step up. Yeah, it is. It's it it's been awesome. I really and one of the reasons I, I moved out here for work, but I also definitely moved out here to run. So it's mm. been it not let me down. <laughs> well, one of the voters, well, one voter said very fast time on an iconic course. Another voter said a relative unknown compared with the former record holder and so cold to see a younger person try this. Now, I don't know you at all. Are you a younger person? I am. Um, I've, I'm 28. So um, I've been running now within the ultra scene. I've been running since 2000. I think 13 was my first one. Um, and then I, I ran my first marathon in uh, 2010. So I'm coming up on my 10 year anniversary, which is exciting. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm 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 excited to see what else is out there. Um, especially since I do hopefully have so much time to get out there and do stuff. Right. So. Excellent. Well, I should ask you then: Do you have any plans for 2020? <laughs> I do. I have um I have a couple races that I'm looking at. One of which is plain 100 mile. I did the 100k in 2017, um, and won the 100k outright. So that was pretty awesome. That also gave me a lot of confidence. <laughs> um, so I'd like to. I have a couple time goals for plain hundred. Um, I think I theoretically, if I am able to train over the summer pretty well, I think I'd like to try for a sub 24. But realistically, that is a very tough course. I'd love to just finish it. <laughs> um, and then uh, I do. I watched Courtney over the over the 
year, just succeed at almost everything and do it with a smile on her face. And so I really, I would love at some point before I'm 30, I'd like to try to do uh, UTMB. So mm-hmm. I have a couple of races on my calendar just to get the finishing points and try to kick that ball in motion. So yeah, those are kind of my, I mean, I have other goals as well, but just, you know, those are adequate. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so. Well, that's terrific, Rachel. Thanks. Wonderful yeah, job. Yeah, Thank and you. what a, what a what a illustrious list on the Wonderland Trail. I'm looking at the the woman on it. You've added yourself to Jen Shelton, Darcy Picou, Chrissy Mal, Candace Burt. You know, so you've uh, you, you got an illustrious list there in the Wonderland. So. Keep up the good work and hope we hope to hear from you in 2020. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Interestingly enough, we have a tie for the number five female FKT of the year. And so coming in number fifth place also is Caitlin Gerben and Alex Borsick. We're talking to Caitlin in Issaquah, Washington, and Alex from Portland, Oregon. Welcome, you two. Thanks for speaking with us. Thanks for having us. We're yeah. excited. Th- yeah, th- thanks so much for having us. We're super excited to be honored uh, in this nomination, and yeah, happy to talk to you. Well, congratulations, the Rainier Infinity Loop. Wow, this thing just blew up. You know, Chad Kellogg thought of it. He never did it. And it's, all of a sudden, it's just got a lot of traction. So you did it. Jason Hardrath did it. Uh, the, the times are coming down. But you completed your trip on July 30th this year, whoops, last year, in four <laughs> days and four hours, which earned you number fifth for female FKT of the year. Now, interestingly enough, and you're going to tell me all about this, but the, the time wasn't that fast. But that's because you two <laughs> showed insane levels of determination. You got stormed off went all the way back down to the car, waited out the storm, and with the clock still running, went back up and summited Rainier. So what was that like? Oh, that was really mentally tough. Um, We were, after the first summit and after the first section of the Wonderland Trail, um, it was a little bit harder than I had thought. um, And I had struggled through some difficulties so when we got up the for the summit, the second attempt at the summit, and we had to get stormed out, it was it was kind of depressing. We, we were just so excited, and we went from like a super high to a super low, and thought we would had to have uh, had to give up on our attempt, and that was that was a huge bummer for us. Uh, I, you know, I would have given up personally. So I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> you were you were up at Camp Muir when you retreated. Camp Muir is close to ten thousand, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's correct. Yeah, and so and actually, went, yeah, Camp Muir is at ten. So you went all the way back down to Paradise, I think, and that's at like four. Wow, that's yeah. That's, that's we we to go back up. So when we turned around, we actually at that point pretty much thought we were we were done. Um, and and part of that was timing and planning and and the with the weather, we just like all of our gear we had. Plan. We didn't plan for having a, a third try up the summit. And so all the gear that we had with us was all we had at the car for that next attempt up. So everything was soaking wet. Um, we had to make arrangements to kind of extend our trip into, you know, past the weekend. And we both work full time. And so that was an issue. 
Um, and so we basically just got back down to the car and kind of by, I don't know, we're both pretty stubborn people. So even though we kind of were like, well, this is over, let's, let's, you know, figure out if we want to continue doing any other version of this, modify the route, um, make it into our own thing. Um, we decided to just continue keeping our in reach tracking until we actually like really pulled the plug and drove away from the parking lot. Um, and then, you know, we, took a nap and woke up and we're like, you know, the weather's clearing up. I think maybe we actually want to do this. So I'm now in retrospect, really glad we kept the tracker going. Um, but I think that's just because we're both pretty stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Wow. That's, uh, that'd be so hard because it's classic, like, uh, navigation errors, right? Like Wonderland Trail. We've talked to people here. Um, we're going to hear from here later on in this very podcast. We did the Wonderland Trail and Sometimes you make a wrong turn. You go a mile outside your waist. You just lost two miles. And it's like devastating. Oh, two miles. But you you lost like 6,000 feet of vert and then had to go back up and repeat it. Yeah, yeah that was tough. Um, I think it ended up being like close to eight or nine miles added on two, which was tough. Um, yeah, Caitlin, do you have anything to add? Uh, I guess, you know, we, given that we had the downtime because we were waiting for the weather window, we also, um, the temps with the storm that had rolled in, um, were changing quite a bit too. So part of it was waiting for the weather to clear, but we also wanted to make sure that conditions on the upper mountain were going to be safe for us to travel on. And so we wanted to wait until nightfall again. Um, and so that gave us a little extra time. So, you know, we we got to go to the lodge and eat a few burritos and ice cream sundaes. So, I think that given that it's, we got to had time to do that in the middle of our uh, our adventure, that made for an interesting uh, pit stop. The Mexican power bar is indeed a commonality in the <laughs> fastest known times. There, it's, it's, it's the food of choice. Well, that's um, amazing. So you started up Rainier, started back up Rainier. Where where is it here? It's like six. Uh, 8.30 p.m. So you started your summit attempt at 8, or second summit at 8.30 mm -hmm. p.m. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that that extension um, did was, I mean, I think going into this journey, even, you know, with our initial goal of going for the overall FKT um, at the time, which was a little over two days, um, you know, I was pretty nervous about the sleep deprivation because that was something that I had personally never really, uh, taken on before. And so then adding, you know, a whole additional day that we basically were weathered out and a whole other day without sleep. And, you know, you think we had that downtime, but to be honest, like all of that time, you know, was spent, you know, getting in calories, trying to dry out our gear, repack everything, make arrangements to extend, um, our adventure and stuff. And so we really, you know, didn't, get any extra sleep during that time. Um, so that meant we were heading up for the third time up towards the summit of Rainier um, on already less sleep and, you know, thinking that we are going to already be close to being done with the journey by then. Um, so that I think like, especially in the later part of the trip, like that definitely started to affect me a little bit more than I was expecting. Um, but, you know, we, we got it done. Well, it's affecting me just listening to it. I'm I'm kind of ready for a nap right now. <laughs> well, did you, how does this work? So it's a team. Did one person say, I think we ought to go for it? Did you vote? Did you discuss? I mean, how, how did that work out for you two? 
Uh, we, I think we handled everything as a team. Um, we With a team dynamic, there's always someone who's going to probably be like a little bit more stoked than the other. Um, so, but for the most part, we were excited and happy and excited. I don't know, excited the whole time to kind of go about it, but we each had our low mo- moments where we would work together and uh, bring the other person up, whether it was nutrition-wise, sleep-wise, stoke-wise. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think to add to what Alex just said there, like even before we set foot on the mountain and definitely before we, you know, were on a glacier, we had already had that discussion that look like we're doing this together as a team. We're choosing to travel together. We're going to make decisions together. We're going to call each other out. We're going to make sure that, you know, we're keeping each other honest. And I think like having those discussions before there were even any issues that arose meant that like we were already, we already knew we were on the same page. So then we got to see the, you know, the bad weather and we were trying to make that decision. Do we turn around or keep going? You know, it's definitely not an easy decision, but you know, because we had already aligned um, on making sure we, we made the, the safest choice and, you know, we knew what both of our risk tolerances were for this kind of a trip. Um, you know, we just handled that, I think, really well. Um, and then, you know, similarly, when we were making the decision to kind of go back up, I think we both kind of came to that decision independently. But then uh, there was, you know, moment where we both kind of look at each other like, uh, I don't really want to give up yet. And, you know, then we decide to to keep going on. And as Alex said, like, the benefit of doing something like this with a partner is that you, you know, each person has their highs and lows. And fortunately, most of the time, those come at different times. Um, you can kind of pull each other along for different things. But there's definitely, you know, a dynamic that you have to balance when you're doing something this intense and this long without sleep with, with another person. Yeah. Um, to kind of echo might. what Caitlin said, we, we felt it was really important to have these important conversations beforehand because stuff on a mountain is nothing to mess around with. Um, safety, weather. So we wanted to make sure we we're on the same page before we got into these situations, because a lot of times when you're excited, the stokes high, you want to finish something. Um, it's easy to make some poor decisions in the moment, just thinking in selfishly. So we had these conversations, wrote, you know, lists down um, and talked about all this beforehand. So when we did get into these situations, at least we had more of like a, a clear head than someone who is impulsively acting might have. This is an amazing example because four podcasts ago, we had Jared Campbell on. Not sure if you heard that, but he was talking about partnership, the importance mm-hmm. of partnerships. And he described doing what you did. He said, literally, he laid out the list of walking through the list and of each person's commitment, each person's tolerance in advance. And you did exactly that. So this is a very good example. Yeah, it proved yeah, to be I, pretty helpful for our success, I think. Well, I'm going to uh, read what the voters said. Uh, two comments. The Infinity Loop was begging for an all-female FKT. This is very serious. Make no mistakes. And I thought that was a good comment. Uh, this isn't a trail run. When you're up there, there's been, I'm not sure how many fatalities on Mount Rainier, but plenty, particularly in those conditions, when you have 70 mile an hour winds up there. Another voter wrote, anytime, and this, I think this person probably did it themselves, actually. Anytime you mix multi-day fatigue with life or death alpine decision-making you're going to rank highly in my book. So they voted you very high, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but they they were they were real, right? It's uh, yeah. 
life or death alpine decision making. You just gave us an example of that. You, it's not like go go go. It's not like you're on the track and one lap to go, and someone says, you know, go all out. Sometimes going all out is a really bad idea, and you do literally decide not to do that. So this is a very good example. Yeah, we I think we totally agree, and you know, everyone out there, especially, you know, when you're, whether you're on the trails or in the high alpine, um, everyone's going to have their own personal risk tolerance and, you know, basically be aware of where they are willing to cut corners and where they're not. And fortunately, like, you know, one reason why Alex and I teamed up to do this is that we're very well aligned on what we think is an acceptable risk to take on. Um, and we felt, you know, with given our abilities and, and the conditions and stuff, you know, I think we, we ended up making really good decisions and looking back on it, like I'm super grateful for a really uh, fun adventure filled <laughs> few days with Alex. And I'm, you know, proud of the decisions we made, even though we were tired, I think, um, you know, going back, I wouldn't change anything about it. Wow. Okay. And make sure the listeners click through on the website because not only will they find a a classic summit photo of you with your hoodies on and your goggles on and everything, but you two just crapped out on the mirror steps by the (laughs) headliner. So those are two classic photos. So make sure people click through and have a look at those. And my last question, which I have to ask, of course, is you originally set out to do the overall FKT on this, and you completed it. You had a great time, but do you want to go back and look for better weather? <laughs> oh, we've we've tossed that idea around a lot in the last couple months. Um, yeah. There's, I don't know. For me personally, there's so much out there. Um, I'm definitely still intrigued by it, but I'm also really excited about a lot of other opportunities. So maybe not this year or next year, but maybe in the future. I don't know. Me personally. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with Alex. Like when actually part of the reason why we decided to continue going on is because when we were halfway through, we're like, Oh gosh, there's no way we're going to want to come back and do this again. <laughs> but by, the t- by the time that fourth night was coming, we were already like scheming up ways to do it better. So <laughs> like, once the seed is planted, it stays there for a long time. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> right. That's, that's a good call. I mean, the, the the days are short, the nights are long right now, so many a lot of scheming could happen. But you've done it. You, you had a you had a, it was successful, absolutely. And so you could move on and do other things. And I will note that uh, we hope to hear from you both in 2020. I I think we're going to be getting some FKT submitted from both of you in this coming year. We hope. <laughs> I look forward to staying in touch and hearing about them. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much. We are back now with Ladia Albertson Junkins, talking to her from Snoqualmie, Washington. Welcome, Ladia. Hi, Buzz. How are you? It's great to be here. Yes. Well, back in September 1st, you ran the Timberline Trail, which, of course, is kind of like the Wonderland Trail on Mount Rainier in that it just goes around Mount Hood. And you did that in seven hours, two minutes. And I think that's about 40 miles with 10,000 feet of vert. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay. Well, for this, uh, and you obviously got the FKT on it, which had stood for like 37 years. So this is a a very fast time. And for that, the voters voted you 
the number four female FKT of the year. Congratulations. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. And I'm, I'm just very touched that I was even nominated and that people voted because this was a very meaningful, meaningful experience for myself and Justin and Abby. Well, let's touch on that for a second. So our understanding is that Gabrielle Grunwald was, was your best friend. And after a long battle with cancer, she unfortunately passed away. But I want to hear it from you. But my understanding is her husband suggested that you go for the Timberline Trail. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so Gabe Grunwald was a professional track runner for Brooks um, for 10 years, and she battled with adenoid cystic carcinoma, ACC, which is a rare cancer. And she had battled that for 10 years and passed away June 11th of 2019. And sometime that following summer, so or this past summer, I guess, um, it was probably August when Justin, her husband, texted me kind of out of the blue, asking me if I wanted to attempt the Timberline FKT because he was going to be out in Portland for the national concert. And I was joining him there along with Abby Anderson, Gabe's sister. Um, and so when he asked me this, I I said yes, even though I really doubted whether that was something I could do. Um, at this point, um, I had really been struggling to get out the door most days this summer to run. Um, I really wasn't confident that my fitness was where it needed to be to chase such a stout record set by Lynn Harmon. Um, and you're exactly right. It had stood for 37 years. Um, but I figured that if Justin, um, who had just lost his best friend, his wife, his North Star, if Justin, while he, you know, was deep in the dark sinkhole of grief, if he could show up for a run around a volcano, then I um, definitely could too. And I, wow, honestly, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. So you yeah. weren't feeling real chipper. It wasn't like you were <laughs> burning it up last time. You were, you were, you were feeling a little down, is what I hear you saying. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, I think grief has a way of making you feel dead inside in some respects. Um, but Gabe never gave up on the things that made her feel alive, and Justin really hadn't either. And so for us, this FKT was really about honoring that. Wow. I think you did. A couple of comments from the voters. One was a lesson in inspiration in many ways. And another person said, an epic trail and elite speed make this the FKT of the year. Oh, so, that's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you do have uh, a strong background, I believe. Are you semi-professional? How would you rate yourself in terms of a runner? Sure. Um, I always, I never really know how to answer that question. I... I am running for the Brooks Off-Road Runner Group right now, um, so I do partner with a brand, and I definitely have put up some fast times. I won the Way Too Cool 50K in like three hours and was it 42 minutes or something? So I've definitely run fast before. And I also, I've qualified for the Marathon Olympic Trials, and I have a background in road racing and I ran 
collegiate track and field and cross country. So I definitely come from kind of a faster background. Um, but yeah, I, I, so you, I, you, you had the tempo, the tempo was sure. no problem for you. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's always hard. Right. And every, every time we run the challenge might be a little bit different, but it's still challenging. Um, so I think I had, I think I have the experience and probably the talent to run a fast time around hood, but the, the timing of it made me feel like I wasn't quite where I needed to be to be able to run it fast enough to break such a fast time because I mean, Lynn's record was really stout. So now I think the trail's gotten harder when she did that. It was a reasonably good trail, even though that was a long time ago, but there's been numerous washouts since. That's and true. again, I'm I'm not I'm not an expert on this, but I believe there's some washouts, some creek crossings where they drop some hand lines just to help you out of the gully. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. The Elliott Creek washout is the biggest one. Um, and I actually did the Timberline back in 2016 with some friends as more of an adventure run. And that was my first run longer than a marathon at the time. And honestly, it was really what gave me the bug to do more ultras in the first place. Um, but the Creek washout was way worse then than it was this time around. And it's really all about hitting the, it, the timing really matters. So hitting it when the creeks are at their lowest, so they're semi-reasonable to cross. There's still some kind of tricky creek crossings, but it was much better than when I did it in 2016. So you want to get it early in the morning before the snow melts coming down. Well, yes, I guess so. That That's one way of thinking about it. Also, just the, the time of the year. So by the end of mm. August, you know, the water levels are about as low as they're going to get before the snow starts falling again. Um, but you also maybe don't have as much daylight to work with as if you did it in July. Um, but if you're aiming for sub eight hours, you should still be able to do it in full daylight, hopefully. <laughs> Great. Good. Well, you certainly did. I guess when you crossed Elliott Creek, though, your pace probably slowed a little little slower than six-minute miles at that point, oh. I imagine. I don't know if there were any six-minute miles in there, although maybe <laughs> at the end when we were sprinting, um, we had no idea how much further we had to go. <laughs> Excellent. So is there anything else on your horizon, Ladia? Um, so I'm running the Marathon Olympic Trials at the end of February. Those are in Atlanta. And then I'm also signed up for Chuckanut, which is actually just two weeks later. So that'll be kind of a brutal back-to-back. -back, but I figured that That will, why be. Not? That will, will be. be. Yeah, <laughs> why not? It's so much fun. And it's semi-local for me. I mean, it's just up in Bellingham. Um, and it's always such a great community event. And then I also got into the Lake Sonoma Lottery, which I'm super excited about. And then we'll go from there. Wow, that's that! what a range. Of course, Olympic trials. I mean, we know what that's going to be like. So good for you for qualifying for that. And then Chuckanut, uh, well, you got that opening eight miles and then you go up. <laughs> and so that'll be a little different. Yes, it will be. And Chuckanut was my first ultra race that I did back in 2017. So it's it has a special place in my heart, and I'm really excited to get back to it. 
Well, on the show notes, the written show notes, oh, I should ask first, would you still like people to uh, donate to bravelightgabe.org? That would be amazing. Yeah, any any amount that you want to donate, $5 is more than enough, $10, um, bravelightgabe.org. Um, or if you want to purchase some apparel, there's really great Running on Hope merchandise. Um, that's pretty much my entire wardrobe now. The shirts are super <laughs> soft, and um, proceeds from that go to the foundation as well. So every little bit helps. But mostly, I'm just really grateful for the attention the foundation has gotten and all the people who are continuing to carry on Gabe's legacy and Light and her love. Um, I mean, just the fact that this FKT was even nominated is so special to me because of what it reflects about Gabe and the love that people have for her. So I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, just thank you so much. The community came together. They really did. Yeah. I mean, and have exceeded any imagination of how people would have responded. So it's been incredible. And I think, I mean, Justin says it often and he says it best, but it's, yeah, it's just been overwhelming in the best way possible. So thank you to everyone out there. Bravelightgabe.org will be in our written show notes. And Ladia, number four, female FKT of the year. Congratulations again. And I hope to hear from you and speak again in 2020. That would be wonderful. Thanks so much, Buzz. We are speaking with Nika Myers now whose home is in Basalt, Colorado. Welcome, Nika. Hi. Happy to be here, Buzz. Well, as you can tell, you are one of the award winners for the Fastest Known Time of the Year Award for your long trail effort, which you completed this October 2nd. After six days, 11 hours, and 40 minutes for a new unsupported time, and for this, the voters awarded you the number three FKT of the Year Award. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, there are so many amazing athletes and hikers and runners and people of all walks of life. I feel honored to be a part of this community. Well, yeah, and you're one of them now. So uh, <laughs> we appreciate that. And the LT was big this year, Nika. We literally just got off the phone with Jeff Garmier, the male number four, four the long trail FKT, uh, also unsupported for the men. So it's back to back. The long trail came on strong this year. <laughs> it did. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, I loved following kind of the, the two awesome, um, male efforts this summer. It's pretty impressive. So you did follow that Josh Perry went after it in June and just six weeks later, Jeff went after it. And then you followed, uh, that in October, and somebody noted that if you would have done that uh, just four months earlier, you would have had the overall unsupported FKT. Prior to Josh, your time would have been the fastest. Mm -hmm. I know, it, which I didn't realize that until I, I also someone had said that to me. But, um, you know, that's kind of, I guess, the, the, uh, the nature of FKTs, though, right? They're always changing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Long Trail is strong because last year, the number one female FKT of the year was, was Alyssa Godeski, and uh, she did it supported style. So what made you go unsupported? You, you 
Zulu had a choice. Yeah, so actually the Long Trail has been kind of a wonderful um, home, as you might call it. Uh, it's kind of where my love for long distance hiking started. And I hiked the trail in 2012, um, in October, beginning of November. So not completely ideal New England weather, uh, but fell in love with the, with the trail. And I've worked for the organization that maintains it and have been a, I've been a backcountry caretaker in its mountains and worked on its, um, trail crews. And the community that surrounds it has really been my, my kind of family, uh, and, and I wanted to go back to the trail and hike it in a different way than I ever had hiked a different, or ha ever hiked a trail. I've never done an unsupported style hike. And it felt very fitting to go back to a place that has really changed my life in many ways. And, uh, and I figured why not try, try something that I'd never done before and, and reconnect with a place that has been so inspiring. So, uh, the unsupported, it was pretty, I kind of, you know, when I was thinking about doing this effort, it was always in, in, in my mind that I would, I would try it unsupported. So, um, that's was, was kind of how I always had, had envisioned it. Mm, okay. Well, you have great history that what a nice story. You grew up in the Green Mountain State. You worked for the Green Mountain Club. Mm -hmm. You did trail work on this very trail. So this was a real, this was a natural for you. But uh, I also quoting from your report, it was a wild and challenging time. It was. <laughs> it, was um, it was, it was definitely interesting to hike through some places that I'd spent quite a bit of time in just a very different way. And and recognizing that sometimes um, this particular effort, um, being 100% in the present and so not dwelling on some of those really um, strong memories of place along the trail uh, or like even physical structures that I had built um, with some amazing characters, uh, I kind of, you know, some of that was just really trying to stay present and not having those memories become um, overwhelming was something that I realized I would have to kind of think about while I was hiking through them. Hmm. Be here now. Yeah. Well, like, you don't have much <laughs> choice, though, do you? Because otherwise, <laughs> things are going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, the emotions start flooding um, in full force. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, as I often do, I'd like to encourage listeners to click through. You have a lovely trip report. Mm -hmm. So if you go on the website, look up your FKT of the year, and your name, your, the route, any way you want, you can navigate to your trip report which is, as usual, really good reading. Uh, everyone has a lot of meaning involved in this, and you especially, since you grew up there. Mm -hmm. But now, you live in Colorado. <laughs> I do. So what's next? I mean, probably no long trail. I mean, are you going to be out here for a while, or what's this looking like? Yeah, so I moved out to Colorado because uh, my twins, I have a twin sister, and she's very uh, very near and dear to me. And I, we hadn't lived together in over a decade. So I decided to be able to, you know, just cook dinner and do fun adventures in the mountains with her. And so that's kind of the draw that brought me out to Colorado. And I do really love the community out here. Uh, I, my, my heart though, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Vermonter. Um, I, I love the green mountains 
they are rugged and wild and fun and always teach me something different, but I'm really enjoying being humbled and, uh, and creating a new life out here in Colorado as well in these amazing mountains. Well, basalt, of course, is on the Roaring Fork, just downriver from Aspen. Yes. So the glitterati are just <laughs> upstream from you. Uh, so, but what do you do? You miss the ice? I mean, sorry, we don't have ice. If you're skiing now, I'm, I'm sorry about that. You, you have to ski on white snow. I remember when I skied, uh, actually, it was called Mount Snow once in southern Vermont. You literally could look down through the clear water ice and see grass underneath your skis. Oh, yes. Very familiar with that. <laughs> um, it's fun. Um, it is a different, you know, I, the, I think the biggest, one of the biggest uh, things that I notice is how sunny it is here. Um, and the winters are just so much warmer. And in the sense that they're not that damp, cold, bone chilling, moisture laden air that they are out east. But Well, um, you're making me want to go to Vermont now. <laughs> But, you know, that's what I, I, I kind of love it. Actually, on the long trail um, this fall, I had quite a bit of rain. And I one of my items that I carried in my backpack that I knew I was going to use a lot was a pretty heavy-duty raincoat. I kind of was light on a lot of things, except I knew that rain gear might be something that I would use a lot of. And I just was so excited to be in rain because... I just hadn't had some bad weather in a long time. And so it seems kind of silly, but I was really loving all the moisture uh, that the long trail brought uh, brought back into my life because I, I didn't realize I missed it so much. Okay. Well, it sounds like you will be back. So no uh, Colorado plans for 2020? Um, you know, I right now I, I coach middle school Nordic cross-country skiing, and, and right now I'm kind of in the supporting young athletes in their own way and their own goals this winter. And, and looking towards the summer, I'm really excited to explore and do some link up routes around here of drainages and get to know these mountains as much as I know the green mountains. And I know that Colorado is a much bigger state, but at least around here in the Roaring Fork Valley, there's just so much to explore. So I'm very excited to kind of stay present in, in this state and learn from it a lot. Um, Great. Yeah. Excellent. My last question for you is mm -hmm. your nickname is Early Bird. Nika oh. Early Bird Myers. Is this yeah. I don't think is a trail name, a through hiker name. Must be a nickname. How did you get it? So it actually is a trail name and it, it came from the long trail um in 2012. I was hiking it with a really dear friend and and she gave me my trail name and um because we also were in the classic, very short days, um, a sun, like short, uh, yeah, with the sun and, um, and we had a limited amount of time and it just inevitably made it. So we were waking up early, but it wasn't just waking up early. It was, I'm a very chipper person in the morning. And so I was always kind of rearing to go. And, uh, and so it kind of, it, it felt natural and the mornings are my favorite time of day. Uh, some are easier to get up than others, but, um, so yeah, early bird came from just finding that piece on trails early in the morning, but also having the energy to completely feel like I could have a conversation early in the morning. <laughs> well, that is an excellent story. And indeed, this is one of the key qualities for the multi-day trail run. Yeah. Or trail hike yeah. because if you can't get out of bed in the morning, doesn't matter how fast you're going, doesn't matter how late you're going. 
the early start is key. So you have a prime quality. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll hear from you again, Nika. Yeah, no, and and I feel so honored. Um, definitely to follow in the in the footsteps of some of the females of the Long Trail and some of these records um, or fastest known times. Really, I just feel so lucky to have followed and along with, you know, um, in the footsteps of just yeah, amazing, amazing characters. Terrific. Fun. Yeah, I think there is more than luck involved. So <laughs> congratulations on the number three FKT of the year. Nika. Thank you so much. We're now speaking with Andre Michaud, talking to us all the way from Anchorage, Alaska. Greetings, Andre. Hey, how's it going? Just fine. Now back in July 30th, you finished the Colorado Trail. I don't have to tell people where that is located. You did the east to west version in eight days, 23 hours, and 16 minutes, and you did it self supported. Correct. And for that, the voters have awarded you the number five male FKT of the year award. So, congratulations. Oh, wow. oh yeah. that's fantastic. That's exciting. And I, as you know, there's the prize money is kind of limited on this, as I'm sure you've. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure. Well, it's a huge honor, though, for sure. Because not well, a lot you. of people know, you know, not a lot of people understand what you're doing sometimes. Well, the voters do. Yeah. So one but... voter comment was, I'm quoting, this was the classic through hike FKT of the year. So they understood it. And another voter wrote, Glad to see another superhuman effort on this trail, and the attempts aren't slowing down, which was an interesting comment. Yeah, so, yeah. The people are still getting after the Colorado Trail, including you. There was a lot of there was a lot of activity this year. Actually, I don't. I'm sure you know of most of it. A lot of it didn't even get pressed just because they were so short lived. But there was a number of them for sure. Right, and we don't hear about the DNFs. Exactly, and those are the. <laughs> Well, that actually, this is a totally different story, but the, the woman that tried to run across the, the country this year, that would have been the, the biggest FKT of the year as far as I'm concerned. I was so impressed with her. I'm so oh. sad she wasn't able to finish. Oh, wow. Thank you for bringing that up. That was a tough case, wasn't it? I almost cried when I read because early on, it looked like she was having trouble, like in the first few hundred miles. And I'm like, oh, maybe things will come out in the wash. Or, you know, this will be short lived. And then she bullied her way through that. And then, I mean, laying down 60 plus miles a day for, for weeks and weeks. And then to truly have to finish because of your body, not because of mental weakness or whatever. I, I really almost cried. Wow. Thank you, Andre. That's an excellent comment. I might not have made that comment myself, but mm -hmm. and unfortunately, I can't even remember her name now. Yeah, I feel bad. She's a professor of, I think, physics on the East Coast, and I, I'm embarrassed I don't remember her name, but she deserves a huge shout out. Right. And she got, she was like four days ahead yeah, of the previous was, time. It was under 50, 500 miles to finish or a few hundred, and she would have obviously made the record as well. So, but she's pretty young, I think, so, or at least younger than me. So hopefully next year she can do it if she's not sick of it. <laughs> you know, I actually tried to get her on the podcast. Yeah, that'd be cool. And um, I couldn't track her down when she went through Colorado. And then after her knee gave out is what it was. Mm -hmm. And I sent her 
two messages and saying, do you, you want to talk about it? And she said, no. <laughs> yeah, she probably just to, to, yeah. To, I can't blame her. It was, yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. no, it's, it's too close. I, I, yeah, for I, sure. I can't, I can't, I can't blame her. I, yeah. I would have been worse off, but then I'm an emotional weakling. But let's yeah, go back to too. you, Andre. Sure, sure, oh, sure, you sure. too. Well, wait a minute. You just did the uh, Colorado Trail and you went east to west. You went yep. self-supported. And so I think most people know what self-supported means. That's classic through hiker style where right. you can walk into a grocery store and buy things or you email yourself food. So self-supported means anything that is available to anyone else along the trail is available but no one or any group can come out and support you in particular. Exactly. And uh, why did you do this? Um, I actually, I, I've been an ultra runner for a long time uh, since the mid nineties. And then I actually, but I've always loved cycling as well. I took a break when I lived in Durango and got into cycling cause that's what everyone does there. And I was healing from a significant hamstring injury from uh, 2009. And so I switched to cycling, came back and I was, I was in Durango and um, my wife at the time made me go down and watch uh, the documentary on Scott Jaime. And, you know, like I said, I was an, a former, you know, a non-active ultra runner and then a cyclist. And I just, man, I loved it, you know, just what he did and, and uh, seeing how things went. And so that kind of, you know, those kind of things stick in your head. And then, um, a few years later, I basically just got sick and tired of uh, riding my bike hard and went back just full force into ultra running. And, you know, in the few years that I had been away from ultra running, it had turned into a mainstream activity. Whereas when I did it, you know, I never saw people under 40 and I was I was young and they laughed at me, you know, and now you see 15 year olds and 20 year olds and it's ultra competitive and everything. And I, it's great that it's changing, but I just got immediately into kind of adventure running or journey running or something. And my, uh, um, I was encouraged to just jump on the, the CT trail that summer, kind of off the couch. Um, so in, in really good cycling shape, but hadn't really done any running or hiking for years and, uh, jumped on there. And it was essentially my first, uh, my first foray. And I just did, I did to Tennessee pass, but I had a really bad blister on the bottom of my foot, um, after the first hour. So every step hurt for uh, about four days. Um, so that was where it started. Gotcha. Now, if you're in Durango, that means you're a mountain biker, right? Uh, you know, actually I was primarily road and cycle cross and then, um, not as much mountain biking as you'd think. And in 2015 though, I started the Colorado trail race, you know, the mountain bike version um, right. of, of the Colorado trail. And of course their ethics are even more, uh, they're even more rigid and, and, and I respect them very much, but I just did a day and a half. Um, I, I did about 140 miles and I rode from uh, Durango to uh, spring Creek. And it was just, it was not for me. I was just like, man, I would rather walk than walk my bike, you know? So right. I tried it. It wasn't my thing. I'd rather, rather run any day. Right. No, that's interesting. 
um, because there is a FKTs for biking the Colorado Trail, but of course it's a little odd because of all the wilderness areas you can't exactly. bike through, and so yep. the FKT route is very different than the running hiking route. Yeah, and, and it's then, about 550 miles. Yeah, and it's a lot of road. I mean, you have yep. once as you get to a wilderness area, you 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 bounce out of the forest and you do a road around, so it's a little different. And then, yeah. as you said, there's hike a bike. Yeah, and the hike a bike, it man, it it is a humbling experience, especially pushing, you know, a thirty five pound bike up uh, like an eleven thousand foot um, hill in the San Juans, you know, and it's like twenty percent, and you know, it's it's kind of just a rough trail in that one area, and yeah, it was it was hard. Anyway, now, so the Colorado Trail in a little under nine days, mm-hmm. that couldn't have been easy, Andre. So, what do you think about that? You know, it was just a progression. Like that was my truly my third attempt. And I, I really, I ate and breathed it for three years straight. I thought about Ah. it every single day, every Ah. single day. It's got me through, you know, hundred degree runs and negative five degree runs. And, you know, just every second I thought about, you know, what was the lightest equipment I could use that was safest, you know, what food I could use. And then I just basically my training for it was, was, you know, what got me ready for it, of course, both mentally and physically. And the the mental part is something interesting because I don't know Scott Jaime and I've kind of seen his name for like 20 plus years. But one thing he said, interestingly, uh, this year was because he went for the unsupported goal and he had the prior self, uh, the prior supported goal, you know, which is what got me into this. But he said he wasn't, you know, part of it was he wasn't physically ready for the unsupported weight this year, but also he said psychologically. And, and that, that was my strength is I think, I mean, being supported is, is a huge accomplishment. And, you know, if you're trying to cut every second off of that and you're killing journey, you know, you're, you're hyper-focused for whatever number of days, but you know, when you're by yourself and every decision you make um, determines how the rest of your day will go, whether it's a feeding or drinking issue or a heat issue, cold issue. And by the time I got to this year, like, it, I had, I had done all the suffering, you know, I had, I had, you know, been unable to sleep because I was so cold in the San Juans already. And so this year, even though there were things that didn't, you know, of course, nothing goes perfect because God, you got nine days to screw up, you know, um, it just, it was just all flow. It was crazy. Interesting. So you committed, this is good. Yeah, it was really fun to hear. Is your third attempt? You committed to it. You thought about it, and then once you got on it, it just worked. It finally did. You know, in the last two years, I was physically ready, and I was emotionally psycho, mostly psychologically and emotionally ready. But I had, you know, I had some, <laughs> you know, I had some issues to deal with, and you know, it's it's hard. The psychological part's so big. And this year, the only thing that held me back from committing was just, you know, the initial concern is it going to go, you know, is there going to be a wildfire that starts this year or, or am I going to just, you know, fall and break my ankle? But once I got, you know, about halfway through the state, you know, I was like, Hey, this is looking good. I haven't gotten, you know, crazy tired yet. And then once I hit, you know, that area in the Sawatch, you know, kind of, uh, in between, um, in between Gunny and um, Sawatch towns, once you get into that cattle country, which is like at 10,000 feet, it's not um, as sexy, but it's like I did a lot of training there over the last few years because it 
it dries out, you know, relatively early and it's at 10,000 feet and some of it's beautiful. And once I got there, I still had like 180 miles. So like what third of the way to go, but I knew that that was it, you know, that I was running home at that point. Um, wow. Nice. And I really, mm -hmm. Excellent. That's a good story. That's an excellent story. You, um, a lot of times there's these giant suffer fest uh, stories here and anyone who yeah. wants to can click through on the website, type in your name, type in Colorado trail, click through and there's your trip report. Your trip report is very exhaustive. So people should read this. You have each day listed out. And then I'll just uh, <laughs> read that you know, toward the end. It was, you know, it got hard to run. You're coming down into Durango, down into Durango, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you're getting a little tired there. And I like what you said. Uh, you said that uh, after finishing, you know, felt a little emotionless at that point. Mm -hmm. Several minutes later, your best friend came careening into the parking lot. He was crying. You were shell-shocked. Yeah. You hugged, and his wife made you a real breakfast. And that's, you yeah. just got done. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like, I mean, I was tired for sure. And that last hill, it's so easy compared to everything else in the state. But it was just so low angle. I kept thinking I was taking wrong turns because it just just was interminable, you know. Uh, and then, of course, finally got up there. And then, you know, you know, you're going to get done. The only thing that's going to stop you is a sprained ankle or something, you know. Did you have a comment on the self-supported ethic, Andre? I do have one concern. Um, when I, you know, a lot of this gets kind of determined by informally by like a jury of your peers, you know, on the Internet, which is awesome. And But a few times I had questions um, about the style that I could do it or what what were the true ethical parameters and I would um, ask about those on the web and I never really got any answers. And so I emailed Peter Backwin a few times and it was uh, two specific questions, one about caches and one about, um, you know, any sort of essentially psychological or emotional support as a self-supported. So and he said, you know, he felt like caches were reasonable and really they're the same as walking into a store. I mean, yes, you may have to go drive around the state and drop them off yourself, but it's pretty, I think that's pretty reasonable. And, and since he thought it was appropriate, that's how I did, how I, I was able to do myself supported a little bit uh, faster. Um, but the other thing was the, the concept of, you know, I've had people who wanted to meet me and cheer me up or finish running into town with me. And when I talked, uh, well, I didn't talk when I emailed uh, Peter, he thought, you know, that would be something that would definitely put things on the radar because then you start getting to psychological or, or emotional support. Um, even if someone isn't handing you a, a candy bar with a wink, um, you know, the emotional support, psychological support after several days away on your own is, is pretty dramatic. And you could argue that a cell phone does that now. So, you know, really, there's no escape from any support. Thank God. Um, but. It did make me wonder because I read a trip report recently where it mentioned the person and I don't I don't want to call someone out. So that that's not my intent. But it was written that they had had um, someone come and visit them several times during their FKT, but called it self-supported. Right. And you know, I specifically told my girlfriend not to come visit me and my best friend wanted to to meet me 20 miles from Durango and run the last 20 miles with me, which would have felt like heaven on earth, you know. 
And right. I said, don't you dare come because I can't do this record and then have it taken away from me by a jury of my peers, you know? Right. And, and so I do have some concerns. And if someone says, Hey, that's okay. Then by golly, then all of a sudden self-supported is a lot. Uh, I mean, the psychological part's a big deal. And of mm -hmm. course, then it opens up a can of worms. Then can someone, can you have, if you have five best friends that are ultra runners, can you have continuous running support as a self-supported, you know, with no muling, no actual assistance? But that's really, you know, I hate slippery slope arguments because they're, they're painful. Um, right. But that theoretically could happen. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the latter quite couldn't happen. But uh, sorry that you didn't get clear guidance. And part of it is a little gray. The first yeah. aspect of caching, that's very clear. Again, for self-supported, caches are just fine. Uh, people do this all the time. It's the classic through hiker style. People hike right. the AT or the PCT. They're not out eating roots and berries. And so they send yeah. themselves <laughs> caches. They go into the post office, they pick it up, and they walk out of the post office with their cash, yep. or they just walk into a grocery store. That's classic through hiker, classic self-supported. And supported is if someone in particular comes out to help you in particular. Now, right. gray areas you described, well, what if someone comes out sort of as a cheering section? Yeah. Well, it, you know, if someone just you know, at the road or at the finish, at the start, that's no one's going to say a word about that. Pacing mm -hmm. is different. So yeah, pacing sure. would be very different. And a good way to look at this for anyone, everyone listening is just go to fastestknowntime.com and then click under the top navigation button where it says more and uh, pull down more and there's FKT guidelines. So you did an excellent job. So congratulations on the number Thank five, you. number five male FKT of the year, Andre. And uh, maybe we'll hear from, maybe we'll, Alaska's kind of this big blank area in the map. Maybe we'll hear from you in 2020. Yeah, for sure. I tried an FKT on the Denali Highway Road this uh, this fall and I was doing well, but I got stopped by uh, a mom and her uh, her baby that was just basically sitting on the tray on the on the road, and they could have been there for hours. So I basically had to just stop my FKT because of that, you know, which is too bad. But that's just part of life up here now. <laughs> right? No, not offering assistance would be poor form. <laughs> Good talking with you, and we hope to hear from you in 2020. Sounds great. You take care of yourself. We are here with Jeff Garmier, who we've had on this podcast before. You can look it up, episode 32. But we are talking now with Jeff from Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You got it. Um, so back on July 24th, you finished the long trail. The long trail. There's a lot of long trails, but the the long trail <laughs> is the oldest, by far the oldest long trail, if you will, in the United States. It's 273 miles. It crosses Vermont from Canada to Massachusetts. And you did it unsupported, squeaked in uh, 12 minutes under six days. And for that, the, uh, the voters awarded you the number four male fastest known time of the year award. So congratulations, Jeff. Wow, thank you very much. <laughs> now, I know you, this isn't why you throw down and do these 
really hard trips, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, but it's it's kind of fun because otherwise people wouldn't hear about these things. They get to learn. They get to be inspired. And indeed, the Long Trail saw a lot of action this year. Indeed, you went uh, 10 hours faster than Josh Perry's time from just six weeks previous. Yeah, I think it had me and Josh set FKTs on it, and then a woman set an FKT as well. So probably as popular as any trail this year. It actually was as popular as any trail this year. I I know these things because I keep track of these things. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just guessing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, Nika Meyer um, indeed did the long, kind of excellent FKT on the uh uh just a little right about the same time as you and we're going to talk to her as well interestingly enough so they're speaking of the long trail in 2018 um it won for Alyssa godeski's uh, fkt and this year it was you and nika so the long trail has had three uh awards on it in the four years since we've been doing this Wow. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of that perfect length where it's too far to truly run or anything and then short enough where you can still do it unsupported as well. So I think that is probably why people enjoy it so much. Oh, that's an interesting <clears throat> point. 273 miles. A long, that's very good. So longer than that, doing it unsupported is going to get a little weird because unsupported means you're carrying all your own food from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And people have done the Colorado Trail that way, but that's that's schlepping a lot of food. So your pack's going to weigh a lot. And I think on your trip, you were really feeling it going over Mansfield at the at the start of the route, weren't you? Yeah. So going southbound, I started um, at the Canadian border, and you have the heaviest pack during what are known as the steepest, most rugged portions of the trail. So that that adds a little little bit of a tough factor into the first two days when you're already not quite sure what you're in for. Right. Right. That's interesting. So that's a good point. 273 miles can be done unsupported, but it's right at the boundary. And the logistics are fairly easy on the long trail since it's in New England. But for those of us who live out West, I, I've been on the long trail. It's much more rugged than people think because it was not constructed with pack animals. The pack animal means it's going to be at a certain grade. They're going to put in switchbacks that diagonal up the uh, slopes to maintain a moderate grade so that mules and pack horses can manage it. But that wasn't done back then. So it just went straight up. So those are steep trails. Yeah, there's lots of ladders on it too, just to give an idea that it's not always just hiking or running. It's straight up sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm reading, and everyone should, listeners who want to hear more about this, just go onto the website and just type it into Roots, the Long Trail, or type your name in, Jeff Garmier, and track it down. And then your notes come up, your trip reports come up, as they do for everybody. So it's kind of an interesting read. And so you you had a tough you had a tough trip on this from what I'm gathering, Jeff. I'm, I'm reading day two. 
day two. <laughs> That's not very far into it. And it said you went to put on your shoes, but you couldn't get your shoes on because leg cramps seized you up every time you reached down. That's at the start of day two. So you kind of had a tough trip. Yeah, I probably made the classic mistake of starting out a little too ambitiously and hard on day one of a six-day trip, but I uh, was able to turn it around and recover. But I think I was a little excited and pushed pretty hard the first day and felt it a lot the next morning. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, you... uh your time was five days, 23 hours, 48 minutes. So your goal was to go under six days and you made it by 12 minutes. I so know. That's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of, it's pretty funny that right at six days, it makes me think if, if my day had, or if my goal had been five days, 20 hours, would I beat that by 12 minutes? So it's kind of funny what, what you do just to hit exactly what goal you set. Right. In other words, you had a goal set and you uh <laughs> you you just threw down in order to come in under that number. Just squeaked in there, yep. <laughs> and it said you stayed you wrote, and again people can click through and read the full trip report, that uh you hiked through the night despite a downpour and hellacious mud. <laughs> and then I'm quoting, I came out the other side a different man covered in mud and painted with determination. Okay, that's that's pretty poetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was an interesting night where it was and I think a lot of people doing FKTs come to that same point where you decide how much you want to achieve your goal and I was at that point and that's when figured that I would push through the night and whatever possible just to hit that 6 out or 6 day mark and came out the other side. Well, it probably helped going downhill, didn't it? North to south. Little yeah. joke there. Sorry. Yeah, it's a good joke. I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, the voters appreciated it. Sub six days unsupported. Um, people really appreciated that. And listeners can click through and read this. And one last uh, comment, which you and I already discussed uh, a week or so ago, is Josh Perry. So you and him... I just had, some people have to ask since you bettered his time in the long trail, and then subsequently the same year he bettered your time on the Arizona Trail. But there's no real competition here. It's it's somewhat coincidence, and you two get along from what I understand. Yeah, I think we root for each other. So yeah, I wouldn't say competition, but it was pretty fun to set a little bit lower times and then both better each other's times this year. So it's fun to see through hikers and people on the long trails and backpacking popping up in the FKT world as well. Excellent. Well, that's a great attitude. It's a classic community attitude where we're there to learn and support each other. And so thank you for relaying that. I appreciate it. And at the same time, a little competition is part of human nature. It's healthy. And so we and helps us who could say we are being assisted by other people to do our best to be all that we can be. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. It as these times all get lower, there's a little bit harder number to shoot for, so it gives people a better idea of what's actually possible. Nice. 
Well, if anyone wants to hear more about Jeff, tune, uh, go back, scroll back and find episode 32, where we discussed why through hikers are faster than ultra runners on long trails. And you just demonstrated that here on the long trail. And congratulations again, Jeff, on number four male FKT of the year. Thank you very much. Part one of Fastest Known Time of the Year Awards concludes right now with David Ayala from Bozeman, Montana. Welcome, David. Hi, Buzz. It's nice to meet you. Likewise. Well, you did the epic Wind River High Route this September 14th to 16th. The WRHR, for those who don't know, is modeled after the Sierra High Route. I think it's a little tougher, actually. It's about 100 miles, mostly off trail. And as with the SHR, it's designed to stay as high as possible, but not get into any fifth class climbing. It wasn't done at all until four years ago. And you did it in an incredibly fast time of 51 hours and 35 minutes, for which the voters awarded you the number three male FKT of the year. So congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. So, so are you speechless now or are you just still recovering from the effort? <laughs> <laughs> the effort feels like it's in my distant past at this point. But uh, oh, good. It, it's, uh, it's fun to learn about the FKT community um, through this process. Yeah. Well, how did you hear about the WRHR? Uh, I heard about that from my friend, Lauren Davis, who a couple years ago, um, approached me in the winter and said that, um, suggested that he and I, uh, go along the ridge in the way that we, he and I often go along ridges, um, and to do it in, in essentially a single push. Um, that, I think that was 2018 and, um, we kind of stopped talking about it. And then the fat dog 120 in 2018, which I was signed up to run was canceled, uh, the day before because of some wildfires. So I reached out to Lauren and in 2018, he and I, uh, went for it. Um, going from South to North as a single push, we, we were aiming for about two days and, Coming down off of Wind River Peak, Lauren hurt his foot badly. Um, so we had to exit, and it was logistically complicated, and I ended up um, kind of running all over the place. It was a 24-hour day, all told. Um, and that was 2018, and then 2019 came around, and uh, something similar happened with my uh, just kind of running plans and uh, talked with Mike Wolf and got inspired uh, for, initially uh, the intent was for the two of us to give it a go, um, but then he had to, to back out for some, some totally understandable reasons. And there I was <laughs> at the very end of the season, uh, still wanting to do that. So I just uh, I went for it and about a week before, I, I learned about the FKT website and and saw that uh, Sarah and Emma had had done it just just like 
a week or two before before that, which was which was pretty cool. So that's how I came to it. Um, it nice. It's not untypical for things that I uh, for excursions that I often do here around Bozeman um, to to find a fantastically aesthetic and wild ridge um, to use fitness on like that. Right. Well, Sarah Aranda and Emma Murray on August 15th, they completed it in three days, 17 hours, by far the fastest female time, the only female time. They did it supported, and you and your the person's time who you bested, Skylar Williams, did it unsupported, which really makes sense because if you're going 51 hours, support can help you out a little bit, particularly emotionally and morally, but you can carry all your own food for two days. Yeah, definitely. Well, what'd you think, David? Uh, I think I'd like to direct some of the listeners to the website, click through. You wrote an extensive report there where you used, uh, you, 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 you kind of put it on the rivet there. You, you had a pretty strong effort. You said you had some uh, other out-of-body experiences there uh, going up Wind River Peak. So you, you kind of threw down, didn't you? I, um, it got out of control for me, definitely, in a way that um, no other effort like this has uh, going up Wind River Peak. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I had experienced um, like delusions and some mild forms of hallucination that I, I think a lot of us have, where I would say it's, it's your sparse sampling of perception and your mind fills it in with more familiar things like faces or your best friend's tent. <laughs> it's not actually a tree. Uh, but the delusions going up that were, um, were much different. Um, yeah, that was a, a really uh, kind of terrifying uh, uh, several hours for me. Um, terrifying in that I, I, I really, uh, I, I lost track of like, like who I was, <laughs> of <clears throat> definitely where I was and when I was. I was confusing it with the the time I was on Wind River Peak in the summer the previous year, and um, it got uh, it got crazy for me. Um, my memories were wow. somehow just stacking. Um, yeah, yeah. The the sleep deprivation aspect of, of these efforts is. Um, for me, I, I think it's new and it's not something I thought about carefully going in. I, I was working really hard the week prior and uh, so came into that already sleep deprived. And then I think that just kind of did me in. I would definitely um, not do that again. I, I, I lost my capacity to trust my judgment, I would say, to even know what was horizontal. <laughs> was, I found myself picking across the snow field on the top of Wind River Peak and then realizing that it was actually flat. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, it was well, I, you're In your write-up, which I again encourage people to click through and read, you said, I quote, I became psychedelic, psychedelically delirious, unorganized, pure perception augmented through vivid synthesia. It took an unnatural type of will to conjure adequate focus to safely descend the summit. So that's that's putting it out there. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. And again, being alone at night, 13,000 feet, it's a little different. I mean, you got to, you got to keep it together. So is this, this, how do you evaluate this now? Are you happy that, wow, I did this. It was really fast. I accomplished my goals. Are you thinking that was a little too much? I kind of went outside the envelope. It wasn't safe. How do you evaluate this now with time? Yeah, that's a, I appreciate that question. Um, I, I, I feel a little bit responsible for, for accompanying anything I say with, um, the fact that it was, it was not safe. Um, I, I feel like going into the Wind River, that doing the high route as an FKT is maybe, um, I don't know, I don't know. There's something maybe not responsible about it. Um, because there's there's so many unknowns, such as where what your mental space will be at some place, um, and then losing the capacity to even make good that uh, um, right. I that's a disclaimer uh, right away. Uh, but then that aside, it was um, profoundly rewarding for me. It was uh, the hardest effort I had ever done by far, and I was not expecting that. The it was the snow factor that was unexpectedly challenging i think that um s massive boulder field sections that i was actually looking forward to, to dancing along um were just uh, overcome by snow and i'd be punching through it and it was extremely challenging um, i got about uh 50 of the way that i was hoping to in the first day um, and then ended up just kind of skipping out on sleep the, the whole thing, I think, was kind of unsafe, but also led to a, a pretty rich experience that uh, I don't intend to exactly do again, though my imagination has been sparked for um, multi-day pushes like that, certainly. Interesting. Right. Well, now that the days are short and the nights are long, it gives us time to contemplate what might come up this summer. And I note that <laughs> Ultra endurance athletes have short term memory syndrome. So at the time, <laughs> we're never going to do this, but something in the, the DNA forgets all about that, don't they? <laughs> I guess so. It, a few weeks ago, I did a fantastic tour through Yellowstone. Um, it, you know, it's winter now. Uh, perhaps inspired by knowing that I could stay on my feet for 30 hours. Um, so yeah, I think memory is very short. Hmm. Probably unclear if that's a good or a bad thing, but the voters like this. That's how you got number three here. And by the way, the voting was very close, so there wasn't a big spread. And so in terms of two, three, four, five, just best just not even to think about that. It's uh, just what you know, a few dozen people thought. I add up the numbers. That's what it is. So I think as you realize, this isn't that much of a contest. It's just a way of having fun conversations with people like you so we can hear how you approach these things. But some of the voter comments were one person said, few people will understand how fast this is. I think that's true. The uh, Wind River High Route is certainly at least two-thirds off trail with tons of third and fourth class terrain 
creek crossings. In your case, you had early season snow. The window for the Wind River Range, of course, is just ridiculously short. You know, and June is just full on it's skiable practically. Uh, and it's <laughs> mosquito season. And then after about a you know, five week window, the first storm of fall comes. So it's a, it, it's comparing, comparing with the Sierra High Route, the Sierras are nice. The winds are wild. <laughs> yeah, wonderfully wild. The, it feels like a, a pretty autonomous environment, unlike most, most other spots that I've been to. All right. Well, what's, uh, what's up with you, Nick, David? Uh, you, you mentioned you're thinking about some things for 2020. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, as far as um, outdoor excursions, I think I'll, I'll continue my, my favorite things, which are um, running along ridges in the Rockies. Um, I'll be in California for work this coming uh, semester, and I might find some fun things to do out there. The Sierra High Route has, uh, is definitely intrigues me. Um, I'd have to think really carefully about um, the type of effort that I'd want to do, if at all, uh, on that one. I in the in the Wind Rivers, um, I actually was. Uh, not intending to follow exactly Andrew Skirka's route. Initially, I was I was hoping I could go into Titcomb Basin, and then do another um, branch off into Baptiste Lake, um, but the the snow uh, prevented me. I, I saw two signs of wet slides uh, up toward um, Titcomb Basin, so uh, skipped that one, and then was was so exhausted, I skipped the other op uh, option. Um, but I, that, this is all to say that uh, I've looked at the Sierra High Route, and there, there's a few variations that I, I think would be maybe more fun to to do in, in smaller sections. So, mm. I don't know. I think I, that's I good. Go Sierras for a while. Well, you know, Steve Roper, who invented it, never did it. He just outlined this route. And <laughs> when I would when I went and did it with with Andrew Skirka, we both said, you know, this is great, but if I was to design a route with this in mind, it might not follow this same path. So if you came up with an mm -hmm. SHR variation, I think people would appreciate seeing that. I think the Wind River High Route for what it does is really close. I not I don't see a lot of improvement within its class, but you mentioned staying on top. I don't think, you, you know this better than I do, I don't think anyone's ever tried to traverse the Wind River Crest, have they? Oh yeah, I, not not to my knowledge. I think that would be um, that would require bring protection. Um, oh yeah, there, there's a low class five uh, series of moves coming off of Mount Lander into Bap Baptiste Lake, um, and and also going into Titcomb Basin is one of Andrew Skirka's variations. That's that's pure class maybe three. Um, so I, I didn't have pass. in mind literally the you, you, you've talked yeah, about the body yeah, pass, yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And by, by the way, I, uh, uh, Skirka's, um, map set is, is really precious. It, it's a, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing thing to use. I really appreciate the aesthetic of not having a GPS file on hand for it. Uh, and also the, the comments are just, 
a real joy um, to go through it. Um, and I was surprised by that as I was as I was uh, reading through the the route description. So actually, I just am thankful for that. That's a good call. In fact, we had Skirka on the podcast, just the previous podcast, and I mentioned andrewskirka.com. Peter is on the podcast also, and he said, yeah, go there. Because for free, you get just ludicrous amounts of good information. And I think one pays a little bit a pittance for the uh, WRHR map set. Haggy's done the Hayduke Trail and the SHR. Just a pittance. You get really good information. Yeah. Okay. Well, David, uh, congratulations again on number three, FKT of the Year. We look forward to hearing what you might do in 2020, so please stay in touch. And this concludes uh, part one of the Fastest Known Time of the Year Awards podcast. Next week, we'll be back with the number one and the number two FKTs of the year. 